This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CBS presents America Changed Forever with CBS News correspondent Jeff Pegues. Thanks for joining us once again. And once again, it's like deja vu all over again. We're talking Trump at the top of this program. You know why? Because he remains in the news just this past week. Two subsidiaries of the Trump Organization convicted by a jury in New York City of multiple crimes, including tax fraud, falsifying business records, and conspiracy. Guilty verdicts on all 17 charge counts. This is Trump Org, the former president's pride and joy. Now, he wasn't personally a defendant in the case, but it's like his business practices were on trial. So this is more... Bad news for the former president. He probably doesn't look at it that way. Okay. He said that this case was about Alan Weisselberg committing tax fraud on his personal tax return. So this is a Trump associate who, quite frankly, the former president in some ways is thrown under the bus. You know, and in a statement, here's something else that the former president has said. Disappointed with the verdict, but will appeal. Called the verdict a continuation of the greatest political witch hunt in the history of our country. New York City, he said, is a hard place to be Trump. That's an understatement. The former president is definitely in the crosshairs of prosecutors in New York State and New York City. But also in Washington, D.C. And you know that. I mean, we've been talking about that for for weeks now, and it's building up toward a crescendo. In the next few months, a lot of this is going to come crashing down on the former president, especially that Mar-a-Lago case. So anyway, Harry Littman, former federal prosecutor, friend of ACF and CBS News, joins us now. Harry, how are you? How are you? Pretty well, all things considered, Jeff. <laughs> um, 
I'm hanging in there. How about yourself? I'm okay. You're you're probably keeping busy talking all three, all things Trump across several different networks um, because we know things are heating up. Um, this special counsel has the ball rolling. And on top of that, this past week, we had the verdict in the Trump org case. But let's talk about these criminal investigations that are originating in D.C. What, what do you think? How, how soon? Based upon what you're hearing, based upon what's being reported, how soon could they start handing down indictments? Yeah, actually, United States versus Donald Trump. Wouldn't that be something? So we really have to separate out, Jeff, between the Mar-a-Lago case and the whole cluster of January 6th cases. Mar-a-Lago, for starters, has always been pretty clean and discreet and uh, with good precedent. But they've, um, I think, really accelerated there, as you say. And they've taken steps that, to my prosecutor's, um, you know, spider sense, suggest they're getting quite close to being able to make a decision. Remember, the final step now, there'll be two final steps, a decision by special counsel Jack Smith, who will then make a recommendation to Merrick Garland, and both of those you know, have to occur. There are some a few other pretty big things, I think, that have to uh, happen. And even the very end game usually will um, include, say, negotiations with Trump lawyers and the like. So to me, um, while, while Smith really is moving fast, and of course, more documents uh, turn up in a storage locker near Mar-a-Lago, my sense is we're about a couple months away if everything goes well, just in terms of the kind of final steps and process to run it through. So I can imagine a indictment in Mar-a-Lago, February. January 6th, now we know they are really heating up and Smith sent out subpoenas this week that obviously have to do with the phony uh, elector Part of the case, you know, you can look at the January 6th hearing and we have several different kinds of schemes culminating in the whole um, bedlam uh, at on January 6th itself. So he's moving forward on the false electors. I would just say as to all of those, there's a lot of evidence and it's a messier uh, series of cases, less precedent, less of a blueprint to call on. Moreover, the whole thing, I think, will feel different and will depend on what happens in Mar-a-Lago. If they bring a case and convict Trump, the the sort of considerations then change a bit. So I see that as hopefully not going away forever, but many months down the line before cases would be brought about January 6th. All right. Just, just so I'm clear on this, you're saying... If they bring charges in the Mar-a-Lago case, that could factor in to the other cases? Is that what you're saying? 
you know, I am. And this is just me. I've, I've thought this through um, uh, recently. It just seems to me there is no matter what you say, there are there are people that still on both sides of the aisle say, you know, we have to think about uh, what's in the best interests of the country. On the other hand, people are very eager for some accountability. If Trump actually has been charged with serious uh, crimes and Mar-a-Lago, even if he is charged in February, it might be a year until there's a trial. So I don't I'm not saying that the conviction would have come in. But it just seems clear to me that in Merrick Garland's lonely calculation about what is in the public interest, if he's already facing serious jeopardy or if perhaps he's already come forward to try to cut a deal that might maybe entail uh, not engaging in public service in the future or whatever, the overall landscape will just be affected. I don't think that the there's going to be a resolve to just, you know, get at him for everything he's done, which is a pretty long list, even dating back to before his presidency, which is, by the way, what's just happening in the Manhattan DA's office. It's hard to keep all this straight, but the Manhattan DA is now investigating the whole Stormy Daniels hush money uh, that came at the culmination of the 2016 uh, election. So this is just me talking, Jeff, but it just feels like it's a weighty thing to try a former president if he's already in there on pretty solid charges that the DOJ might decide, well, let's see how this plays out. Well, I'm sure there are a lot of Republicans out there, even those who support the former president, who might just say, how do we make all this go away? How, how do we do that? Um, so what you're talking about, it, it kind of makes sense. I'm, I've raised that issue with other people in that, yeah, you got to look at what's what's in the best interest of this country and you know is donald trump as a former president really going to serve serious time behind bars it's unlikely no <laughs> no i mean we think about we think about nixon as the best example we have people were up in arms at the time impeach ford but you know what? I think in retrospect, people think it was the right solution. Now, I know I, that's the wrong solution for Trump because he's been so, uh, you know, completely unrepentant and, you know, continues to do it. Uh, so I don't think you can t- you can let him go, uh, you know, let him walk as Nixon did. But you're not you're not going to to uh, engage the most um, sort of vindictive um, dreams of the anti-Trump crowd. No, I mean, he's, you know, I'm going to say this, innocent until proven guilty. There's that too, right? The Constitution. Yeah, he's innocent until proven guilty. But once you, know, you get beyond that, maybe if you're talking about what kind of sentence he gets. I'm looking at an image right now of Mar-a-Lago, and I could see house arrest. And Mar-a-Lago, I could see serving some time, uh, home detention, and Mar-a-Lago, where he could play golf, he could go in the swimming pool, he can tan. 
you know, I think they're even his detractors might, yeah, they'll be upset for a little while and say, oh, he's getting special treatment, which he is. He is. But at least they can say, oh, he's being held responsible. And, and again, innocent until, until proven guilty. But just this past week, as you know, the former president hired people to search for properties to look for more of these classified documents. And they found at least two documents with classified markings inside a sealed box in one of the location. locations, according to the New York Times. So they're still finding documents. As you said, he's unrepentant. I, I, so it's all true. Two, two more. And I don't think we're at the bottom yet because the archives describe some of the things that were missing. It feels like more than two documents and not the ones that were that turned up. But, you know, I can imagine a scenario. The interesting thing with him, because he's a rogue, he could make a, he could agree as part of an overall disposition of charges that he wouldn't run anymore, which might be the thing that's really in the best interest of the country. But he, if he changed his mind, who could stop him? There's all kinds of crazy law school hypotheticals out there where he runs for president from, you know, with ankle bracelets. But something like this, here's what here's what I was just trying to, to plot out. Remember, I do think it's going to be a lot of time in pretrial stuff. But let's say he's, he's indicted in February on Mar-a-Lago and it looks strong. And now let's say they have developed a case in the summer or so for to, to hammer him even more. And, you know, it really is a point where he wants to say, OK, you know, cry uncle. And the question is, though, how to keep him from serving in the future. There is the it's been, you know, circling around uh, this notion of the third uh, section three of the 14th Amendment, which if it's enacted, says that people who took an oath before and then were uh, you know, committed insurrection against the U.S. can't serve again. That's a constitutional bar. If that were to somehow be part of the judgment here, it might even involve the contribution or some role by Congress or some court. But if that were happening, that would be a fail-safe method to keep him from running in the future. So you just wonder if it comes to the point where he's not only in certain peril over the set of Mar-a-Lago charges, but you know the U.S. is ready to bring down other hammers, would that be the point? Because it really is true. Let's say he's running mainly to stay out of jail. And um, let's say that even as more and more people, I think, depart from from him in the Republican Party, it's still hard to see. He's still the front runner. And the dynamics of the way the nomination happens and his the way he sort of took the field one by one uh, in 2015, you can still see him becoming the candidate. And then that is one friggin' mess because it's not as if the department can't go after him then, but it wouldn't prevent him from doing other things, it seems to me. Because at the end of the day, if the American people want to elect a felon, you know, serving life behind, behind bars, I think you can't take that right away from him. So as crazy as it's been all these last many years, I can imagine scenarios that are that are that crazy on steroids in the next couple of years. I think I think I heard you say friggin mess. Yeah. Is that a legal term? Yeah, the fr- friggin is well known. It's a, it comes from the Latin, I think. Frigoli. <laughs> <laughs>
all right, Harry. Let's let's get into this Trump org. Yeah. Uh, what what does this decision? If you can explain the decision briefly. Yeah. Uh, what does it mean for his business, his pride and joy? Uh, you know, a, a near death blow. So briefly, the company was held to have committed crimes. That can happen when higher ups in the company uh, do it. And they, what they basically found, and in very short order, was over 15 years, the company was a whole ongoing fraud scheme to pay compensation off the books. Now, first and foremost, as you say, it's his pride and joy. He's a guy who his whole life is about branding and his brand has been at best permanently soiled. Um, but then there are consequences for this conviction. There's a fine that is in the overall scheme of things, pretty small beer for him, but banks can now call in loans. Other banks may not give him loans. The governments may not do business with him. And even from there, you have a already ongoing civil investigation by the New York Attorney General of the Trump Organization that gets wind in the sails from this conviction. And that threatens a lot more money and very uh, possibly and probably more uh, ominous for him control. So uh, she, the attorney general of New York, has moved to have uh, that actually be put in the hands of a monitor. And the, there's a real possibility that Trump and his kids lose control of it. So that's that's a whole nother thing. And then finally, I think there are serious collateral consequences for him because I think it kind of um, makes it more likely or kind of uh, gives some tailwind to two different prosecutors. The New York DA himself, who brought these charges against the Trump organization, is now looking at charges against Trump personally based on, as I was saying before, the whole kind of hush money payment to Stormy Daniels. He, he as you'll probably remember and listeners will kind of tiptoed away from it flinched at the last moment but now he's looking at it again and the southern district of new york could bring fraud charges against trump personally uh based on the tax consequences because one final point about the trump organization trial yes it was the trump organization yes trump wasn't named but the evidence really focused on Trump. There was back and forth, and the issue was joined about whether Trump knew in trying to prove the charges against the organization. And the jury's coming back so quickly and on every count, I think, is a very strong indication that they um, agreed with the prosecution that Donald Trump himself did know. So several prosecutors, the special counsel, the New York DA, and maybe the U.S. attorney in Manhattan are all taking note of that and thinking we can we can really build a case against this guy and uh, you know, I, it will have jury appeal. Mm, it just seems to me the more the former president speaks up and stays in the spotlight, he just becomes a bigger and bigger target, drawing more and more attention. It's really, you know, whether you support him or whether you're one of his critics, it's it's almost, I, you know, well, we've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's just we've never seen anything like it. That's why I keep having you on, Harry, because, you know, I think it's important. This, 
we'll all look back at this period of history and think, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe that happened. And frankly, we've been saying that, especially those of us in news, uh, probably for the last 10 years or so. And I know you've been thinking about these things for a long time, too, Harry. It's really true. And in particular, everyone's been saying, you know, he will there ever be accountability, Teflon, Don, etc.? I think the Teflon's off. I mean, I think he's like a wounded, you know, bull in the middle of the ring with, you know, a few swords already stuck in him. I I, I think um, we're already uh, in a period of of long overdue accountability. So the future is now, it seems to me. Uh, Jeff, there are worse and uh, less worse, no, no real good one outcomes for him. But, but I think the uh, the Teflon is scraped off in many different uh, you know parts, and it's just getting worse and and worse. And as you say, he he keeps operating like a candidate. He keeps operating the only way he knows how you know as the the you know New York real estate guy that he became, and that is not just not well suited to, but kind of a disaster when you're in the legal peril he's in. He keeps tell, spouting lies and castigating the whole system in a way that could only hurt him when, now that he's really in the clutches of the criminal and civil justice systems. Harry Littman, thanks for your time. Thank you, Jeff. Always good to be with you. This story is disturbing. I don't want to talk about an ACF just just to make more people aware. The town is Paradise, Texas, where a little girl went missing, seven years old. Her name, Athena Strand. There was this search for her, but sadly the search ended when her body was found. According to investigators, she was taken and killed by a FedEx contract driver. Let's get the latest on this case. We have a reporter in Texas, Alan Skaya, with 1080 KRLD, Texas State Network. Alan, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. This story, you know, I was talking to some of my colleagues and as someone who unfortunately has to cover stories like this, In this case, you're wondering, gosh, how could that little girl, that sweet little girl, how could she have been protected? And you just don't think about people making deliveries potentially being a threat. But this is one of those cases that that really changes that. And and it's changed things for FedEx, uh, as we've seen. What what kind of changes is, is FedEx making now? They are going to be uh, working. So the, uh, the the suspect here, he was a contract driver. And so they said, first off, they said that they are working very closely. They're, they're answering whatever questions that the Wise County Sheriff's Department, the FBI, uh, the Texas Rangers, whatever questions they have. But they are also going to be taking a closer look at their hiring practices for contract drivers. And the mother of Athena Strand, she's saying she wants a separate investigation into how FedEx decides to hire people. So this is something that's going to take a while to kind of work through the system as to how how this person was able to be working for FedEx, not as an employee, but just as a contract driver. And so it's something that FedEx is going to have to look at is to 
who uses a truck, when they're using the truck, and who is working for them. Yeah, the FedEx says it has a lot of questions that it's going to have to answer. And it's not just FedEx. I mean, after something like this, you know, other carriers are, are going to have to perhaps examine their policies as it relates to drivers. But also tell me what is happening now in, in Paradise, Texas, where this horrific story is unfolding. It's what is this town like? How many people live there? And, and how is this hitting the people? We understand the family is, is devastated, but, but how, how are other people in the community reacting? They're all coming together. I've talked to both the, uh, the county judge in Texas. The, the county administrator is called the county judge. I've talked to him. I've talked with the county sheriff, too. Uh, and they both have that same message that, you know, they're both fathers neither one can imagine going through something like this. Uh, and the county judge, he told me, this is something that's bringing all of us together. That Wise County, it's close to, it's west of Fort Worth. It's not far from the Metroplex, but it's still a very small town feel. So Paradise is a very small town. Uh, Decatur is a bigger city. And so there have been a couple, village, uh, a couple of um, vigils in Decatur. So they had uh, they had a prayer service on the steps of the county courthouse earlier this week. Last night, they had a vigil where uh, where Athena's mom spoke. Um, and each of those drew thousands of people who, talking to the folks there, they just want to they just want to feel involved. A lot of them were part of the search. You know, they had volunteered to either join the search or just bring food to. Uh, uh, to the search crews, to their to their base of operations. And so this hit everybody so close to home there because everybody sort of knows each other in Wise County. All right. So what is the latest on the suspect? Where is he and when's his next court appearance? Yeah. So the uh, the, the, the the judge in this case, he is limiting the amount of uh, the amount of information that they are releasing uh, about this search. Uh, the, the, the sheriff, Lane Aiken, he did tell us that they found him, Tanner Horner, they found him in his truck, uh, that they had digital leads that led him, that led them to the part of Wise County where, where they tracked him down. So he is in jail now, charged with uh, aggravated kidnapping and capital murder. Uh, he's in jail, I want to say on like $1.5 million bond. He's still in jail now. Uh, but the judge has said that he wants to limit the amount of information that comes out about how investigators reached him because Wise County is still going through a lot of this stuff. They're, they're still dealing with the emotions of it. And so he wants to limit the amount of information that comes out to sort of help the county start to recover. All right. We were thinking about the family. Um, we're thinking about Paradise. And we will continue to follow this case, Alan Skaya. Thanks for your time. You bet. Glad to be here. There is a battle for House Speaker. Kevin McCarthy, California Republican, is having a really difficult time getting the support that he needs. Seems like he's got a challenger on the far right. I'm really not surprised, though. I mean, this is the Kevin McCarthy who, on January 6th, denounced the president's actions. And then 
I don't know, a few days later decided, oh, let me go and talk and reach out to the former president. Let me make amends for what I said on national TV, that he needed to take responsibility for what was happening at the Capitol that day. It seems with Kevin McCarthy, a lot of times he'll say something, then he'll backtrack. But he has managed to stay in control of the GOP in the House. To his credit, that does take skill. I just don't know if he's as skilled a politician as somebody like Mitch McConnell, or even John Boehner, or for that matter, Paul Ryan, former GOP speakers of the House. But we'll see, because right now he's facing a battle for House Speaker. Let's talk about it with Arthur Delaney, who covers politics for the Huffington Post. Arthur, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. All right. So you just interviewed Andy Biggs. Tell us what you've learned. I caught up with Andy Biggs this morning and asked him what he's doing because he said he's running for speaker and it's uh, he's not a plausible speaker candidate because there's no way he'll get uh, you know unanimous support from the Republican Party because he's so right wing. Uh, and he told me it's more about the principle of the thing. Uh, it's about breaking the establishment and sending a message that uh, the, the House Freedom Caucus, which is this far-right group, wants to make sure that the, the House functions in a more democratic way with less power concentrated in the speaker and more in the chairs of committees who are actually in charge of writing and amending legislation. All right. So he, he said he's interested in breaking the establishment. Is he, is he talking about McCarthy? Yes. He... he thinks that Kevin McCarthy is a symbol of the Republican establishment. Now, this is all a little abstract to me. And so I said, what is actually going to happen? And he owned up to the fact that he's not going to win. But, you know, he it'll only take a few Republicans to prevent McCarthy from becoming speaker. So he said that what he hoped would happen is that there would be a consensus alternative to McCarthy a center-right lawmaker who could step in. And now we don't know who that might be. There's no, uh, you know, obviously plausible such Republican has yet emerged, but Biggs claims that several have come forward and talked to him about that. Uh, you know, one alternative is potentially the number two House Republican, Steve Scalise of Louisiana, uh, who has you know, disavowed any interest in this outcome. But it's happened before. Uh, we, we've seen uh, uh, that Republicans, uh, you know, at the urging of their right flank, will throw somebody out and the group will collectively settle for somebody else. Somebody else. And I, I don't know if this will happen. I think it's possible that the Freedom Caucus will once again, uh, you know, state lofty goals with no obvious way of achieving them and then ultimately fail to achieve them. The result being uh, the the original plan that more moderate Republicans at all along. But we'll see. I don't know why what you said cracks me up, but uh, basically what you're saying is that this is all a, a show. But, you know, to your point, we are hearing some serious conversations about Steve Scalise, who, I, you know, I just have this feeling. And what do I know? I mean, I my beat is law enforcement, but I do follow politics in my free time. It, it seems to me, you know, he could conceivably emerge 
as the consensus choice. I mean, he, he's, you know, I think he's got an interesting background and, and you know more about his background than I do, but he could, I don't know, could he emerge as, as the, the front runner all of a sudden? Yeah, I believe he's viewed as more conservative than McCarthy. He's loyal to McCarthy, so he's not going to endorse any of this. He, he wouldn't do it publicly, <laughs> but, but maybe a wink and a nod. Uh, he, he was nearly killed. He was a victim of uh, political violence, which is something that's really salient right now. And every time some right winger commits an act of terrorism, Republicans say, well, Steve Scalise almost got killed by a guy who loved Bernie Sanders. Um, and I, I feel like that's very compelling for them. And it, and it honestly is remarkable how he uh, recovered from that, that shooting in which he was severely injured and, and couldn't walk really for a while. So maybe it'll be him. Uh, but truly, I'm guessing right now, uh, because even if you're talking to them, it's hard to tell what's going on. Uh, and it's totally possible McCarthy will wind up as the speaker. But why does why does McCarthy, he just seems, it just seems like he doesn't have this wrapped up. It seems like he, he is... Yeah. How do I don't, how do I want to put this weak right now? It, it seems like you know people are always questioning his leadership uh, in the Republican ranks. It's almost as if he has never been able to sustain support. Uh, that's right. And the reason for that is that he is weak. Being weak has been his entire strategy. He does whatever he can to please the most people possible. Uh, when he stated some obvious truths after a mob of Trump supporters trashed the Capitol, uh, that was a little surprising. But it was only a couple weeks when he was flying to Florida to suck up to Donald Trump. And I believe his reason for doing so is that this will please the greatest number of my caucus. Um, but the, the reality is, no matter what, the person who uh, runs the show over on the House side is going to have to cut deals with Republicans, and the Freedom Caucus is not overly impressed by McCarthy's support from, from Trump. They know that he will wind up cutting deals with Democrats, uh, because if he didn't, they could potentially blow up the, the global economy with a, a debt ceiling showdown. Uh, and I, I, I don't think that they have a plausible strategy for, a, you know, a more conservative resolution to those, but they want to flex their muscle and they want to look strong. And McCarthy's, um, you know, someone they could theoretically beat up and throw out. And uh, even if, if they don't put in Andy Biggs, which they obviously won't, even if they can't get Jim Jordan, who is a, a more of a hard right bomb thrower, uh, they would look powerful by installing a, a consensus alternative, alternative, even if he isn't all that far right. But does does Jim Jordan actually is? Are people mentioning his name? I, I haven't heard, I haven't heard him making a lot of public statements lately. But are are people considering so. him? Of course, he's loyal to McCarthy and has disavowed any interest in that. Uh, but I, I just get the impression that he would not want to do that job uh, that a lot of the more moderate Republicans wouldn't go for that. So it wouldn't work anyway. And he likes, he likes his role uh, haranguing people from committee dies, uh, you know, in his shirt sleeves. So I, I feel like that's where 
you know, the, the Jim Jordan we know today is the one that we'll, uh, that we'll see next year. All this bears watching. It's an interesting race for a speaker. We'll see how it all shakes out. Arthur Delaney with the Huffington Post. Thanks for your time. We're going to talk about Brittany Griner returning home to the U.S. after being detained in Russia. CBS News was the first to break the negotiations that led to her release. There was a lot of work behind the scenes here. I'm proud of our teams who were able to get tips and then report out the information. And here's how it all turned out. Listen to President Joe Biden as he announced that Brittany Griner was coming home. In the Oval Office, I spoke with Brittany Griner. She's safe. She's on a plane. She's on her way home. After months of being unjustly detained in Russia, held under intolerable circumstances, Brittany will soon be back in the arms of her loved ones, and, uh, and she should have been there all along. This is a day we've worked toward for a long time. We never stopped pushing for her release. It took painstaking and intense negotiations, and I want to thank all the hardworking public servants across my administration who worked tirelessly to secure her release. People all across the country have learned about Brittany's story, advocated for her release, stood with her throughout this terrible ordeal. And I know that support meant a lot to her family. I'm glad to be able to say that Brittany's in good spirits. She uh, She's relieved to finally be heading home. And the fact remains that she's lost months of her life, experienced the needless trauma. And she deserves space, privacy, and time with her loved ones to recover and heal from her time being wrongfully detained. Brittany is, uh, is an incomparable athlete, a two-time Olympic gold medalist for Team USA. She endured mistreatment and a show, at a, and a show trial in Russia with characteristic grit and incredible dignity. And now Brittany Griner's wife, Sherelle. So over the last nine months, you all have been... Um, so privy to one of the darkest moments of my life. And so today I'm just standing here um, overwhelmed with emotions, but the most important emotion that I have right now is just sincere gratitude um, for President Biden and his entire administration. Today my family is whole, but as you all are aware, there's so many other families who are not whole. And so BG's not here to say this, but I will gladly speak on her behalf and say that BG and I will remain committed to the work of getting every American home, including Paul, whose family is in our hearts today as we celebrate BG being home. We do understand that there are still people out here who are enduring what I endured the last nine months of missing tremendously their loved ones. So thank you, everybody, for your support. Brittany Griner back in the U.S. But of course, there's also this concern about Paul Whelan's safety in Russia. He's, he's been in Russian custody now for several years, and of course, a lot of people this weekend thinking about his family, too. That is America Change Forever for this week. Thanks to Paul Woody Woodhull and District Productive. Don't forget to check your local listings to see when ACF airs in your community. For now, I'm Jeff Begays, and that is how America Changed Forever. Thank you. 
Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.